Good morning. This is Susan Share, which I can be found at inotherwordsgroup.com. My guest today is Adrian Suskin. He is a transplanted Zimbabwean. Thanks for joining me today. You're welcome, and thanks for having me. Sure. Adrian has a lot of free time right now. Tell us what you are doing with your free time. Did, did I mention that you are from Zimbabwe? Yes, you did. I did. Okay, um, good. In, uh, I grew up in, in Zimbabwe, which used to be Rhodesia. It's, uh, Was it Rhodesia when you were born? Yes. Okay. I grew up there, left there in the early 70s and came to the States. And um, it, it was the time that I lived there, obviously, it was during the minority government, the white government that was running the country. You should probably say here that you are white. Yes. I jokingly consider myself African-American. It was originally a British colony, and then it declared its independence from Britain in the late 60s, I believe. Rhodesia at the time declared independence Mm -hmm. from Britain, and up until 1980, it was, you know, the white minority government that that ran the country. Mm -hmm. And just to give you an idea of when I grew up as a kid, there were about 250,000 whites and about 7 to 8 million blacks, and none of them had a vote. The, the blacks. And they didn't even have a vote? No. 1980, um, they gained their independence. And Before we talk about that, let's say that even though you did not have the independence you wanted, the country was in very good shape. It was in extremely good shape, even after independence in 1980. It was the breadbasket of Africa. They had the highest literacy rate in Africa. They uh-huh. had an amazing... A production of maize, uh, of tobacco, and a lot of other minerals and stuff. And um, they were basically a net exporter of maize. So not only did they feed the country, but they exported to make money. There was a movie a number of years ago, The Interpreter. And it doesn't say it's about Zimbabwe, but it is such a close parallel that Mugabe, who took over in, in, the, in 1980, yeah. will not, would not allow it in the country. Correct. Because it talked about a dictator who had started out just wonderful, bringing freedom to the country, and, yeah. and then proceeded to completely reverse himself on everything he had said. Right. And turned it into a dictatorship, and not a benevolent one. No. And, and yes, the interpreter was great. I remember it very well. In 1980, Mugabe became, uh, Robert Mugabe became president of Zimbabwe. And a hero, uh, very, quite legitimately. And, and even today, most of Africa considers him a liberation hero. But basically, when the country uh, became uh, majority rule, and that was when they had this wonderful literacy rate, mm-hmm. the wonderful net uh, exporting of maize mm-hmm. and tobacco and all sorts of other minerals uh-huh. and, and um, uh, goods and everything, and... Uh, that went on probably for at least uh, 20 years, up until mm-hmm. a very early 2000. And then the whole thing of the um, taking over the farms. Mm-hmm. So they started nationalizing the farms, driving all the farms off. And basically what had happened was they became, you know, this expression is used a lot, but they went from the breadbasket of Africa to the basket case of Africa. And, uh, you know, basically... They, they subsist now on um, international donations, food-wise. The farms were almost entirely minority-owned. Correct. But um, they did employ 
other people, uh, right? I'll give you an example on okay. a typical farm. A typical farm would employ at, at least uh, three to 400 laborers, mm -hmm. um, would house them and mm -hmm. their families, would clothe them, would provide them with food and um, medical assistance if needed, mm -hmm. uh, things like uh, very basic schooling for the kids. And when the president, uh, Mugabe, nationalized uh, a lot of these farms or essentially took them over, overnight, um, all of these people were now homeless. People would drive onto a, a farm to tell the owner that he had to leave, and most of it was by force. A lot of people died. Um, and overnight, uh, literally, um, these people were out of a job, out of money, mm -hmm. um, out of food, out of clothing, out of everything. Out of a means to get in. Everything. Yeah. And these farms, most of them, uh, the individuals that took them over had no clue how to farm them. Now you have a huge amount of unemployment. Mm -hmm. What's uh, it like, over 50%? I don't know. No, it's in the, probably the low 90s. Oh, and I remember uh, you bringing me a bill. The inflation is so, yeah. it, it, I think it is literally unimaginable to us here in this country. No, it's not, it, it truly is not comprehensible. We, yeah. we talk about inflation, most of us think in terms of 2 maybe 3% mm -hmm. or 2 point something. Well, what happened there in the, in, before the U.S. dollarized, uh -huh. the Zimbabwe currency was on a, um, I don't know how to explain this, like a galactic inflation. Well, it was literally not worth the paper it was printed on. No, right? and I'll give you a, a rather crude example. It probably was uh, better to use the currency as toilet paper than to buy toilet, paper. To buy toilet paper, which... If you can imagine multi-million dollar inflation, where um, you and I, um, uh, you know a good friend of mine who lives in Zimbabwe, yeah. um, and he runs a supermarket there and still does to this day. And during that time of inflation, um, they stopped pricing their goods and just had a, a number on it, like 6823 or whatever was a, a box of matches. And that was the only way they could keep up because the prices changed about every um, 20 minutes. You would come in in the morning, buy a matchbook for uh, three billion Zimbabwe dollars, mm -hmm. and by the afternoon it was four billion. So no one wanted currency; most of it was trade-oriented. Well, I remember you telling me that when you got money, the thing to do was immediately go out and buy non-perishable goods. Anything, anything, because they don't lose their value. Right. So you would buy a, a pound of sugar for. Uh, you know, $65 billion, and at least now you got rid of the money, but you had this pound of sugar that you could go to someone else and say, yeah, I'll, you can have this for three candles and two matches. Mm -hmm. Adrian used to be a client of mine, and he was telling me all these things, and it is a little bit difficult to believe. And so he brought me a bill once, and, you know, and I, I looked at it and I said, oh, my gosh, $100 million. And he said, no. No, that's not correct. It's $100 billion. And what would that have bought? $100 billion, loaf of bread and a box of matches. And okay. we're looking at a bill that, if you can try and picture it, has 11 zeros. But I'll let you in on a little secret. That wasn't the largest bill. The biggest bill that they ever printed before the U.S. dollarized was $100 trillion. And that sounds like something out of um, Austin Powers. The, you, no one could deal with it, and eventually, in sometime in 08, they went to the U.S. dollar. And, and 
it was probably the best thing the country did. And what they did was they did away with the Zimbabwe currency, literally. Things stabilized to, uh, you know, where maybe inflation was was in, you know, the 9 10%. Um, it's still very expensive for the majority of people. For you and I, we, we think in terms of, uh, you know, foo-foo loaf of bread is three, four dollars yeah. at a great bread store, but a dollar for, you know, someone that's got a very, very, you know, limited low income, it's well, a lot of money. That's the other thing. The income is still low to non-existent. Oh, it's horrific. Um, I, I don't even know what it is to a person, but, you know, during the worst possible times, life, the, mm-hmm. life expectancy with, uh, there was in the high 30s as a life expectancy. Wow. You know, I believe right now it's probably in the mid to high 50s. Is that increase from the 30s, is that due to the stabilization of the, stabilization of the currency? Indirectly. You know, food was more available. After the dollarization, things became available. But one of the things that did help was um, was AIDS. In, in Africa, AIDS basically was usually um, uh, affected about 25 to 27% of the population. The the world stepped up and uh, there were some amazing charities that came about. The retroviral drugs became mm-hmm. much more affordable mm-hmm. and a lot of it was donated and that certainly had a huge impact on bringing the numbers mm-hmm. down. And, you know, it's still fairly high. Now, one thing that we have been sort of talking around that I want to get to, we're really giving Mugabe a pass here and I don't want to do that. Yeah. And, you know, we're in America, not Zimbabwe, so we can talk about it. Yeah, I have to be careful because I go back there, but mm-hmm. every two months. But I'm not sure he's going to listen to, uh, like, a public radio show or something. But you never know. So, okay. I <laughs> um, First thing he did was, of course, take very productive farms from people who are making them very productive and taking very good care of their employees to uh, give them to his friends who knew nothing about farming and basically drove them into the ground, putting everybody out of work. And just, it's astounding to me. It's only because he had the military on his side that he could get away with any of this. Am I right about that? Yes. And if you object, of course, that the police are under his control too. I mean, they're not now, are they? Uh, Yes, they are. They are. Basically, they had this um, unity government that was formed with the rival faction, which... Which was forced on him because of Western civilization sanctions, the Western world sanctions, and yeah. it didn't. And it's still in place, but really... Kind of, um, sort of. The MDC, the people that he... Um, That's the uh, uh, Movement for de- Democratic, Democratic Change. change and the two factions, Chandirai and Mutambara. But essentially what they did was form the coalition government. Which is Chandirai. Chandirai, right. Okay. He's the deputy... Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, president, I believe, or no, excuse me, the deputy. He's the prime minister. Okay. Um, but really, um, the, the military, the police, all, all the security apparatus are still controlled by Mugabe. And they're not supposed to be. Cause, now this is no, they were supposed things, to share it. Yeah, yeah, this is one of the things that just blows my mind. I remember hearing on the radio several times when they were trying to get the elections, this was this was with uh, Chung, Morgan Chungirai, yeah. um, and uh, I remember Mugabe hearing that he was saying he didn't care who won, he wasn't stepping down. Well, that's right. not an election. Right, and, and it's not untypical, but it's it's pretty standard fare. Most of Africa, the, the people that get into power, with the exception of very few, 
Mm-hmm. In fact, there was an election just a while ago. Uh, there's a couple of countries. One of them that always comes to mind is South Africa, mm-hmm. where you had an individual like um, uh, Nelson Mandela who uh-huh. you know, served 28 years in prison, came out, became president, served four-year term, and rode off into the sunset as mm-hmm. the most amazing statesman that Africa's ever produced. Possibly the very, world. It's <laughs> very, very rare because mm-hmm. most of them want to be in there for eternity, you know, for life. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you, I remember you saying something about this is, goes back to the tribal system. Oh, very much so. In fact, you know, whether it's the Middle East, whether it's Africa, a lot of it is based on tribal, um, almost like we would have in America like we have a Democratic and a Republican parties mm-hmm. and independents and tea parties, they have tribes. Um, in Zimbabwe, in particular, the two major tribes are the uh, uh, Shona, which are Power Now, mm-hmm. Susano, PF, and Mugabe, and the uh, Ndedele, which is Changirai and um, Mutambara. Yeah, but the other thing about tribal law is that one person, the, the chief does stay in power until he dies. Correct. And then it's well, it's no different than the monarchy in England, you know, than how it's handed down from uh, Charles to William. Well, to the difference is the power that they have correct. in governing the well, country. In, in those places, there's checks and balances, just like in the U.S., which, That's you true. know, yes. has an amazing system, at least I think as an immigrant to this country, mm-hmm. where you have the judiciary, you have the legislative, you have the executive, and, and there's all checks and balances.